Hello and welcome to this week's Sport Zone on Salford City Radio. I'm Rob Paxson and we're talking all things sport in Salford. Joining the show this week, as ever, we have Paul Whiteside from the Devil in Detail. Look, looking forward to talking all things sports in Salford, Paul. Yeah, looking forward And it should be an action-packed show. So yeah, I'm excited to chat all about it, mate. Yeah, we'll start off with the Rugby League and Salford Devils. They travelled to Leeds on Friday night and went down to defeat 38 points to 16. Talk us through it. Disappointing night, Robert. Frustration uh, as well. A frustrating night, I thought, for the supporters and the players. Um, came out, I thought, we looked all right early doors. We got in the arm wrestle and, you know, forced a couple of errors from Leeds. But, um, you know, we had a try disallowed from, from Christina New and, and then Leeds on that left edge with, with Harry Newman, Ash Hanley. I thought they were very, very good, uh, their young players, and showed they had a lot, of, a lot of pace in that side. I thought their pack was aggressive and... I think Leeds were a bit more streetwise than us and a bit more aggressive than us. They got into a lead there, a couple of quick fire tries, 12 nil up, and um, you know going in, in 20 points in the half time. The, the, it was a mountain to climb for Salford really, and uh, you know uh, Cruz leaving Brad Dwyer did an awful lot of damage around the rook. You know that pace there that they've got, and I don't think they did anything special Leeds, but I think they beat us twice in, in quick succession really in two sort of similar games and. Yeah, we seem to have a frustrated edge about us, and and I don't know I don't know why really. We scored some good tries. I think two of here's try in the second half. You know that kick through from Kensey was it was a magic try. Really, and there was glimpses there from Salford, and we tended to go lateral for me too much too much sideways movement. I think when Andy Ackers took the game to to Leeds, we we looked good and we and we, we we made some breaks and, and looked dangerous. So the the signs there, but it's it's frustrating. You know we've we've done this a few times this season. Haven't we? We've took sort of two steps forward and then three steps back. So um, so yeah, that second half it, it was it was very similar to the to the game between the two sides at the AJ Bell and Leeds. I thought were the were the better side on the night and they deserved to get the victory. So it was a frustrating night for Salford really because you know we we, we could have got something out of that game. Yeah, very indisciplined as well. Two Simbinins, uh, Sebastian, Sebastian Ikefo and uh, Tuila here, both seeing yellow cards. Uh, Richard Marshall's talked about uh, the indiscipline the last uh, in the last few weeks, causing us defeats, but uh, seems like it reared its all ugly head again uh, this week. Yeah, it seemed to do, and, and both players seem to be Simbin for sort of back-chatting the referee and, and, and chatting back there. And, and, and as, as I said before, it seemed like frustration... I thought Sebastian Fico took the ball in really well on, on Friday night, looked really powerful. But every time he seemed to get tackled, he seemed to be arguing with the Leeds players and, and that frustration seemed to be there all night. You know, Tuil Allier seemed to have that about him, wasn't playing with like a smile on his face. And, you know, when you are like that, you're a bit uptight and a bit... I don't know whether it was the Leeds players sort of um, giving him a bit of needle because there was plenty of needle in the other game and there was on, on Friday night. But as I said before, you've got to be streetwise. You've got to be a bit more professional and... And sort of deal with these things on the pitch. You've got to be smarter. You know, Super League's a, a tough league. You know, teams will try and get that edge and they'll try and wind you up on that. And there's some wily players in the Super League, particularly on that Leeds side. So I thought it was disappointing. As I said before, again, Leeds got some good young players there and they've got plenty of pace in that team. But, you know, that was a game really where I, I thought we had a chance of getting a result from, especially when we saw the squad in the week. It was probably the most healthy the squad has looked for a while. So there's, there's players in there who I thought might have played. I was. I thought Dan Sargent would have been nailed on to play, maybe Joe Burgess as well. So maybe they'll come in this week against Hulkingston Rovers and, and Richard Marshall will freshen things up a bit. But no, I thought we were a bit too lateral and not direct enough. And, you know, Leeds, Leeds for me, were more aggressive and wanted that game more than we did. 
Yeah, I thought it was real rabbit in the headlights stuff from Salford, early doors, Paul. And I suppose when you go to Leeds, sometimes you've got to make sure you don't play the name and the crowd. And I feel like Salford did in that first uh, first half. They got better in the second half, played some played some good rugby, good tries from Ken Seo, Chris Nanninu and two and all are here to put Salford on the board. But for me, the damage was done in that first half. It was it was good to see a crowd back there. It was very exciting before the game. You know the noise from that that south stand where we were sat. Uh, it was like a cup final at times, wasn't it? And I think that's what's been missing. And it, it was great. It really was. But I don't think there was anybody, anywhere near a full house there for me. I, I think there could have been a lot more supporters there than what it was. I suppose that's going to build up over time. But but no, that was something that surely the players would have spoken about that in the week. They must have been expecting that. You know, one of the first games with the with a full crowd back there. So uh, so yeah, you know you're going to get that at Leeds. How many times have we been down this road at Headingley where we've been there, backs against the wall, and you know you, you're going to get that. You're going to get that. And I think. With the, with the two Simbinis there, Ben Thaler probably got sucked in a bit by the crowd, but that's what happens when you go to big big grounds like that. You've got the crowd in the back, you know you've got to deal with that. And th- there's some in, some smart players in that Salford side. I mentioned two of here. That international player played, you know, all over the world, and you know those, those sort of guys. You've got to look to them to to sort of lead you through that. You know, Lee Mossop's a very experienced player, and. Some of the other guys there as well, Sebastian Pico, he, he's played the game long enough to, to not get dragged into that. So discipline is, is a major issue for me and you've only got to go through the fixtures this season. How many yellow cards have we had? How many red cards have we had? You, you can't win matches when you're losing players for 10 minutes at a time. It settles the, unsettles the, the, sort of the flow of the side. Richard Marshall's got to change things around and move players to cover certain areas of the pitch. So it just hampers you, completely hampers you. And it did in the home game against Leeds and it did again on, uh, on Friday night. Yeah, talking about Richard Marshall, I spoke to him after the game, and this is what he had to say. All right, Rick, it's Rob. Hey, Rob, all right. Yeah, defeat tonight, talk us through it. Oh, we disappointed. We uh, we didn't start well at all. We lost the rook speed and conceded 20 points in that first half. Um, I thought we had a couple of opportunities, uh, certainly with the Crisinu. He told me he got the ball down when he, when he caught the ball over his head and uh, there was a couple. I thought we got done. Harvey got done for offside. I thought he was all right. Uh, yeah. So, but listen, our discipline's cost us the game, uh, Rob. That, that's what that's what's happened again against this team. We, we seem to unravel ourselves when we play Leeds. We did it three weeks ago, and we've done it again. Is it? I think it's kind of a psychological thing. Obviously, last time it was a similar kind of kind of game. Is it more psychological? Do you reckon? Um, I'm not. I don't think psych. I think it's don't think it's psychological. It's just a lack of respect, really. Uh, it's just a simple lack of respect for the game, for the ball, uh, for the referee. You know, I've never ever seen a referee um, when someone answers back uh, change his decision, and, and mm. that, that will never happen. So uh, we've got to be responsible for that. Uh, so have I as head coach, I've got to make sure that my lads, when they get out there, they know yes sir, no sir, three bags full sir. That's how it's got to be. You know, even the. The best teams uh, in the competition have have, have, a, have a real strong discipline, um, and you know, at the minute we're at the, at the bottom of the table or near near enough, and and we're still disciplined. So we need to be better in that regard. Yeah, the double sim bin was was a big moment, uh, but the boys kind of dug in with eleven men. Yeah, that's a frustrating thing because when we when we do in, in, we had it in glimpses in that second half. I think what was it eighteen sixteen in the second half? We had a real good goal, a real good fight. Uh, we had we had a lot of nous about us. We had some smarts. I thought Kenny and uh, you know took his opportunities really well. Um, I thought we had some offload and we played a little bit. We played a little bit freer. Uh, we probably played better when we had eleven players with the ball, <laughs> which 
<laughs> isn't ideal at all. Uh, we defended pretty well at times, but then again, it, it's just the, the volume. It, it, it catches up on you in a game like that against Leeds. Two really good dummy outs in Lehman and Dwyer and just ruin us in and around that rook. Yeah, three good tries and Hingenau looked dangerous. Uh, that's probably a positive coming out of this game. Yeah, I've just spoke to him. I thought it was, I was really happy with his debut for the club. He's, he's dead keen and he wanted to get on earlier. We managed to put him on there. He didn't look out of place. He'll, I think he'll be really good signing for us, but he's got to find his feet. It'll take him time to adjust to the... the I'd, say, I'd say the climate and the weather, but it's probably just like playing in North Queensland here at the minute. <laughs> but he's got to adjust to the way we play and, and, and everything. And, and, you know, that's that's probably not a true representation of Salford Red Devils. The last couple of weeks have been really good. and We're not consistent enough at the moment to back up that the performances over the last couple of weeks. Yeah, any, any injuries to report? Yeah, Jack Wells went off with a nasty knee injury. Um, I'm, I'm hopeful. Uh, he tells me he dislocated his kneecap, but um, the doctors, that's back in place, but it, it can also lead to a little bit of damage. Um, he's had some rotten luck as young Jack, so fingers crossed he's okay. Uh, Ryan Lannan had a couple of knocks within there. I thought he was immense, Ryan. Ryan's playing really well for us, um, playing really tough. So I'm lucky, did a, luckily did a good job coming off the bench. Um yeah, there's some individual moments within that, that that we're really pleased about. But when you come ahead in there with it, you know, it wasn't quite full, but it was a rocking atmosphere. It, we got caught in the headlights a little bit. Yeah, Hulky are next week. Opportunity to bounce back. Yeah, it will be. Um, we had a we had a we had a tough game against them. Uh, you know, a month or two back, um, we didn't show the best side of ourselves, the best version. There was glimpses there this evening that we that that that, that we can do. Uh, we'll have to be a lot better though we'll have to make less errors with the ball and be far more disciplined they're the simple facts cheers Rick good luck thank you Rob so that was Richard Marshall talking to himself after the game Paul he was disappointed with the performance and the and the sort of the rook speed was a real difference for him uh, Leeds destroyed us around the rook yeah they did a couple of weeks ago though didn't they it's we, we spoke about that it wasn't that long since the two sides met the AJ Bell it was only a matter of weeks ago and you know um about three weeks ago, I think it was, wasn't it? And it was exactly the same then. So you'd have thought we'd have been looking at that and, and, and targeting those players and, and tightening it up around the rook. And, and we didn't. And, and to get caught out twice against against the same side in quick succession, I think, disappointing. And, you know, the discipline as well. I think Richard Marshall will be, will be tearing his hair out there because we knew, you know, going to Leeds, that did be niggling that game. And, you know, it was frustrating. It was a frustrating night and I could sense that between the, the players. You could see that. You could see that. And as you said before, rabbit in the headlights, I think, is is a good description for it, really. I thought we were like that. We got caught up there in that first half and give ourselves far too much to do in the second half. You know, you're not going to come back from 20 points to nil down at Headingley. It could be something special if you did. So, uh, so yeah, it was a disappointing night all round. Yeah, he talked about the indiscipline as well, uh, which was a frustration for him. Obviously, last couple of weeks, we've kind of tied ourselves up. Why, why do you think they went back to the old ways of, of losing men like we did in the previous six weeks? I think we got sucked in, Rob. I think we got sucked into the, you know, the way Leeds, the way Leeds play. They, they like to play, you know, close to the knuckle, don't they? Every time we seem to play Leeds, Richie Myler seems to get involved, doesn't they? There's a lot of verbals in there. And I think that's the way they play Leeds, don't they? They're an aggressive side. They've got some aggressive forwards. And, you know, the coach, Richard Agar, is no mug. He's, he's a very knowledgeable guy. And I think that's the way Leeds Rhinos play, physical sort of game. And, you know, 
we got sucked into that and, and and you can't afford to do that you've got to be professional you, you can't afford to be to be losing players you know I think tackle technique sometimes we give an awful lot of penalties away for high tackles don't we and, and things like that and you know infringements around the rule as I said before the six to go there, there, was, there was lots of them in the game I, I, I wouldn't mind uh, seeing the, the total of penalties as well so yeah it's I, I don't know I don't know where you how you how you stop that? I mean, yeah, we, we seem to do okay, didn't we, against Wakefield? We didn't lose anybody against Wakefield. Did we lose someone against Cass? I can't quite remember now, but the Wakefield game, the discipline, I thought it was good. I mean, going back to that game against Wakefield, there wasn't many penalties in the whole game. Referee Gareth Hewitt was for that game, let the game flow, and it was a much better spectacle. But I thought Ben Thaler, the referee, he... I thought he played to the gallery a bit against Leeds. I'm not slagging the referee off, but I think he, he did play to the gallery a bit and he's one of those referees that likes a bit of limelight and you know when you've got a big crowd like that ahead in Leeds you're not going to get the decisions they're going to go the other way aren't they and, and I think they did but you know that before you go there you've got to be better than that you've got to be switched on and, and we weren't we were, we were very poor they were positives, uh, Paul. He talked about the defensive effort uh, throughout the game, especially going down to 11 men and the tries from CO Inu and Tuolola here. You know, very good tries, all very creative um, from the halfbacks. Um, Atahiga now made his debut. Vesolfa, what do you make of him? Um, yeah, as I said before, a lot of it for me was sideways. A lot of the play was sideways. You're not direct enough. We we tend to go lateral all the time, and we need to be a bit more direct. I thought Atta came on, and yeah, he didn't. He didn't look out of his depth, but it's going to take him time. He didn't seem to know any of the plays, which I thought was a bit disappointing because he'd have been training with the team all week. But you know, he, he's going to have to find his feet at this level. I don't think you can judge him on a game like that. He looked like he had a big boot on him. He put a couple of kicks in there, and uh, he looked like he could kick a ball okay. And his distribution looked good. So I think we'll be able to judge him over the next couple of weeks. I mean, this week we've got Hulkingston Rovers at home. I think it's always nice to to play a game at home, isn't it, make your home debut. I think to chuck him in at Edinley was always going to be tough, wasn't it, especially when he came on. I think we were 20 parts to nil down when he came on, so it was always going to be a tough gig for him. That. Uh, I think he'll do well. He, he looks like he's got something about him, so we'll, we'll see that over the over the coming weeks. Yeah. Uh, Jack Wells, um, he was injured. Uh, possible dislocation of his kneecap kind of shows how tough these rugby league players are, but we're kind of hoping that he is, there isn't an extended um, time of him being off the field because he's been a really good player for us so far since coming from Wigan. He certainly has. He certainly has, and he, he was doing OK on Friday night. I thought he, he settled into the game well. He's been very powerful and he's got better week on week. We've, we've said that, haven't we, on the on the podcast. And, and that's a nasty injury that I saw a, a guy who was training with me at the gym a few weeks ago. Sort of his, his kneecap sort of fell off and it, it's not nice when you see it happen. So uh, so not nice at all. So we wish him a speedy recovery of that because that's that's quite a, quite a bad injury that on, on your knee and uh, could take a bit of time to recover from. But no, Jack Wells would be a big miss because at the moment we've got James Greenwood who's been out as well. Since, I don't think he's played since he's... Uh, since uh, he's, they're sending off at Huddersfield, so we're a bit light there on on, on sort of back rowers and what have you. So, uh, so Jack Wells will be missed because he's he's, he's had a good season so far. Yeah, okay. Our next Thursday opportunity to bounce back after the Leeds defeat will be tough. They uh, went to Catalan, lost first time, first game they played in like a month, uh, but now they have to kind of isolate for five days. They can only train. Uh, and then go home. They can't go out socialising. That's the that's the rule. So it's going to be a tough kind of preparation for them, uh, really. This sofa match. Yes. Well, they they've done okay. You know, going into the game against Catalan, 
they've won three games on the bounce, haven't they? They beat they, they hammered Salford up there, forty points to four. I think they beat Lee as well, and they won away from home against Wigan. So, I think that Wigan game was on the eighteenth of June, something like that. So they'd not played for for well over a month. So to go to Catalan, a rearranged game as well, which was supposed to be Casford against Catalan. So I think they took that opportunity because they just wanted to get a game under the belt. So they travelled over there. I believe they were thirty points to eighteen up at one stage, and, and Catalans have come back and, and just pipped them there. But that's a, an excellent effort from Tony Smith's side. You know, in the heat over there in Perpignan, so that'll be tough. But they're going to have a tough week, aren't they, with, with pro, protocols this week and, and training. So you'd expect Salford to to come out all guns blazing on, on, on Thursday night. That's if the game's on, because I be, believe a couple of games have been postponed already this week, haven't they? So you can see that one falling by the wayside as well. But Richard Marshall will be hoping it's on. It's an ideal opportunity to to maybe play Atahigano, make his home debut and uh, in front of a crowd at the AJ Bell as well. We should be, should be bouncing there on, on Thursday. And um, I'm looking forward to that game. So we've got to be wary, though. Hawkins and Rovers are a good side. The six in the table, aren't they? Surprised a few this season. Had some some good wins as well. So uh, they're going to be, uh, be be tough to beat. Yep. Let's talk about our other club in the area, Swinton Lions. They faced York City Knights and went down to defeat 46 points to 10. York are a very good team, uh, Paul. Uh, obviously a big defeat, but I'm sure they can you know take things from this game. Yeah, it's another. It's disappointing. They've lost fourteen out of fourteen, haven't they? Now and uh, going to York City Knights. I was following that game on uh, on the radio, and uh, York City Knights you know, had a good start to the game. And then they scored, I think, four four tries in the last sort of seventeen, eighteen minutes of the game to give it a bit of a lobside. They scored a forty six ten. But I think they always had Swinton arms. Then you go through that York side. Though. I mean, they got to Wembley last week, didn't they? And we, we saw on on the, on the TV at Wembley when they played Featherstone. You know the the quality in their side. You know, like have Adam Cuthbertson, Chris Clarkson, these these forwards. You know, Danny Kerman. They've they've all played sort of Super League level, haven't they? Kieran Dixon's another one. You know, there's there's some real talent in that in that team there, so uh, it was always going to be a tough a tough game for, for Swinton to go and, and, and play. So, but yeah, it's, it's it's a tricky time for that moment. You know, losing games every week must be tough. And 14 defeats on the bounces, you're getting desperate for a result now, aren't you? Desperate for a win, and I don't know where the the wins coming from at the moment. They uh, they really are struggling, but you know, Oldham are down there as well, aren't they? Sort of the lower end. So I'm not sure when Swinton play Oldham, but that's the game they're going to be targeting. But you know, Stuart Little, you've got a feel for him at the moment. It's, it's a very tough league, that championship, and I'm sure they're just desperate to get a result. Yeah, Stuart Little, uh, up-and-coming coach. He's going to learn a lot from this uh, barren run that Swinton Lions on. Obviously, it's not all uh, you know chips and rainbows in a rugby league uh, coach. You can go through the dark moments as well. Well, that's right. And we said at the start of the season that you know Swinton's probably playing budget is nowhere near as much as Featherstone's, Toulouse, Halifax, those sort of sides, York as well, and Bradford Bulls. There's some massive sides in that league with with, with big playing budgets and, and big ambitions as well. You look at Featherstone and Toulouse, they, they're both geared up for Super League, aren't they? And just going back to the, the, the game at Wembley last week, the 1895 Cup, you know, talking about York's you know, sort of riches, but look at Featherstone, some of the players they've got in the side and some of the money they've spent. So it's tough for, for Swinton to compete. You know, it's tough for, for, for other sides, Oldham as well, they're, they're sort of struggling, but... It's a very, very tough league. That really tough league. I wouldn't like to play in that league. No, I wouldn't like you know Salford to be in that league because it'd be, it'd be tough. You know, we played in, in the lower leagues before, haven't we? And it's always difficult to get out. But I think this time in that league, that is a, every week's a you know a real challenge. So yes, Swinton are having it tough, and so Stuart Little and, and and yeah, he will be learning things from it. But there's no doubt he'll want to get a result sooner rather than later because you know what it's like, Rob. You know, when you're losing games, you get the pressure from the supporters, don't you? And you know, the 
the, the people who are running the club as well are, are want a result. So, so yeah, it's desperation times now for Swinton. Yeah, Dewsbury away next game for the Lions. Opportunity to see if you can get that first one of the season. Another tough place to go, though, Rob Dewsbury. It's always hard to go there. You know, um, bit of a slope on that pitch as well. And, and, and Dewsbury are looking at that game, aren't they? You know, they'll be targeting that game as well. So there's no easy game at all. But, you know, next week's a new week. They're going to have to focus this week in, in training, aren't they? And just pick out what they can from today's game and uh, and hit the ground running next week. And hopefully they can, they can get two points sooner rather than later. Yeah, that's all the Rugby League chat on the show this week. Now we're going to talk ice hockey, Paul. Yeah, we certainly are. We're gearing up for the for the new season and uh, Manchester Storm have continued their recruitment drive for 2021 stroke 22 season. Uh, who have they signed and who have they re-signed, Rob? Yeah, been busy in the old transfer market at uh, the Manchester Storm. They managed to re-sign Captain Courageous, Dallas Earhart, uh, Captain Leader Defender, big influence on that Manchester Storm uh, team and squad. I think it's great that they managed to get him uh, re-signed. They've re-signed Scott Simmons as well, who's one of the forwards, uh, top goal, well, one of the top goal scorers, six goals in in twelve uh, in fourteen games, sorry, uh, with twelve assists. And I've always said Manchester Storm kind of struggling in front of goals, so it's good that he is, is is signed up for next season. Another impressive signing for me as well, Paul, is someone called Mackie McNulty. He's a defender. He's six foot seven. He's twenty six years old. He's very very physical as a player. His defensive style, they say, is using his body first which means he, he likes to mix it, which is going to be great because obviously ice hockey can be a physical sport. The crowd love that that physical interaction. So he's going to be, become one of the fans' favourites, I feel. He's also a bit of a goal scorer as well. He scored five goals in five goals uh, last season with 19 assists. So he, he can be uh, quite prolific going forward. So it's going to be interesting to see what Manchester Storm uh, come up with this uh, with this season. Uh, they've been busy, like I said, the transfer market last few weeks, com- you know, completing a, a squad and hopefully they'll, uh, they'll compete on all fronts uh, next season. Yeah, the fixtures are being released for the new season on the 5th of August. Sounds exciting, that. Who are the, the games that Manchester Storm are looking out for? Who they got the rivals going to be? Who's the derby game going to be? Who's the, which are the games that's going to uh, you know, set people's imagination on fire? Yeah, there's, lo- there's lots of games to talk about, Paul. Super exciting, every one of them. You've got the Sheffield. Uh, they're, they're, the, they're the main one. They're, they're the derby game. Um, We'll look at ice hockey. You know, there's teams all over the country. Coventry Blaze is another team that that Manchester Storm love to have a competition with, and you know, the fans, the Manchester Storm fans, they turn up sort of week in, week out, travel the length and breadth of the country as well, uh, supporting the side, and it's fantastic that they managed to, you know, managed to keep it going through the lockdown and through the pandemic. Obviously, last season with no fans, it was it was a problem for them, uh, but. Hopefully now with we have all the restrictions sort of lifted and 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 fans being able to go back into uh into the the stadiums even though my sock is kind of an in, indoor stadium it's going to be a bit different to see uh, what happens there but the, you know the the fans are excited about the, the the challenges to come the players are as well and Ryan Finney the coach you know like I said before he's going to be looking at what he can do had quite a successful uh, season last season in the in the mini elite series. Uh, but you kind of hoping that they can go one better this season and compete uh, and go for trophies because that's what it's all about. Manchester Storm, you know, are a big name in the ice hockey world, Paul, and you know they need to be competing uh, week in week out and challenging for these trophies to improve their profile as well as the the, pro, the profile of, of ice hockey in the city because that's the that thing. It's about a growing the sport really, uh, and they're super excited. And hopefully they'll be able to do more uh, next season and uh, the trophies and the success will come. 
Yeah, you've tasted the atmosphere down there at Altrincham, haven't you, Rob? You've been a regular down there. Mm. Just tell the listeners what what's it like. You know, what's it like sort of under the lights there on a? Is it a nighttime game? The play there is usually like Friday nights or it's Saturday nights. What's the what's the, the crack down there? Yeah, they usually play uh, Saturday and Sunday. It's inside uh, an Altrincham's um, ice hockey uh, rink. It's you know it's quite intimidating. The Manchester Storm fans make a great atmosphere. All the the drums are going and 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 the chants are going and it's. You know, it's it's different. I suppose it's different to to your football atmosphere or your rugby atmosphere. But it's for me, it's more of a family orientated sport. Uh, you know, it's all very sort of clean off the field, but on the field, Paul. You know, on the field, on the ice. Sorry. Uh, you know, they they are they are super strong, super you know fit athletes, super physical. It's very you know interesting to watch because um, you've got that blend of of sort of physicalness and that you know artist impressions of, of ice hockey persons gliding around the ice it's a wonderful sport if you actually get into it super fast because you can go from one end of the rink to the other so quick um, and games can turn in an instant so if you're listening to this and you're thinking what can I do over the over the winter period I urge you to get down to Manchester Storm and, 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 and get behind the team all, all they need is, is sort of a bigger uh, following of fans to take them to that next level and, and I'm sure you've got the players there uh, with Ryan Finity to, to, to do that uh, and we're excited to to cover them on the sports zone on Salford City Radio, uh, you know when the season starts. You certainly are. I'm looking forward to it. Looking forward to the fixtures coming out too. Okay, so let's uh, talk boxing now. We've got James Sweetman. James, looking forward to talking all about the boxing with Paul. Yeah, most certainly, Rob. And the thing I think we need to kick off with, Rob, is Joe Joyce versus Carlos Takam, and the juggernaut put his fantastic chin on display once again. And Carlos Takam, despite landing numerous overhand rights, didn't find a way to detonate the juggernaut. Now, Paul, was it a good performance or is Joe Drush relying on that chin a little bit too much? Oh, I think he's a bit of a mixture of both, James. I think it was a good performance. I don't think you can criticise that, really. I mean... It, it, it's gonna you're gonna get tested against someone like Carlos Takam. I mentioned last week his record and who he's fought. He's he's no wug, is he? So he's got some skills there as well. And I think you know Joe Joyce has, has found his his way, hasn't he? He's found his style, and you know that 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 chin is is, is part of his style. You know, it's part of the way he boxes, and you know we, we've seen champions throughout out the years. You've got fantastic chins. It's what wins them world titles. So it was a good performance for him, and and to me, he took his up. Opportunity when it came, when his opportunity came, he he saw it. The light was on, and, and he took it with both hands, didn't he? And, and, and got the result he wanted, got the knockout, and and that's what it's all about. And I think for him now, he, he's got to move on to bigger and better things. I know Andrew Ruiz is being mentioned, isn't even possible, you know, next fight for him, and that's one I'd like to see. But yeah, it, I thought it was a good result for him, and you know, he's he's a real bright spark in British boxing. Most certainly. Now, what did you make of the stoppage, Paul? Because Carlos Takam complained a great deal, but he did take a lot of unanswered punches. Yeah, he did. He did. And, and let's have it right. I mean, when you're taking on unanswered punish, punishment and unanswered punches in, in boxing, no matter what weight you're at, a referee has got a duty of care and a job to do. But when you're talking about heavyweight boxers who are sort of 18, 19, 20 stone or whatever... There's an awful lot of force behind those punches, and 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 you can only go so long, can't you? And if you're not fighting back and, and taking them, how long does the referee leave it for? 
I mean, if he leaves it too long, you'll get people saying, "Oh, he took so much punishment there." It was, you know, it was uncalled for. He should have should have weighed it off. So a referee's got a split decision to, to, you know, to be to be made in a short space of time, hasn't he? Look at it, and he's in there. He he can see it better than people on the telly because he can hear what's going on. He can hear what you know, boxers groaning and moaning when they they're getting hit. So he can sense it. So I think it was the right time to stop the fight. I mean, as I said before, heavyweight boxing. He, <laughs> Those those punches, you like you like being hit with a sledgehammer. So you've got to make the decision at the right time, and I think he I think he called that right for me. Yeah, most certainly. Now, does Joe Juice need another fight before he challenges the likes of Alexander Usyk and Anthony Joshua? Because is the European title? Of course, he's got a mandatory there, being Marco Hook. Does he need another fight like that before he challenges the big boys? Well, yeah, that's probably the road to go down. If I was his his promoter and, and part of his team I'd be saying that I mean you, you've got plenty of time you, you've got you, the rest of your career I know he's no spring chicken is he but I think you've got you've got to take your time and pick the right fights you don't want to go into something too early and get absolutely smashed and you know boxing's about levels isn't he he'll get tested at the right level um, you know Carlos Takam is, is probably a guy who, who obviously fought at world level and been in some big fights but I'd say he's probably a fighter who's on his way down slightly. So, so yeah, if I was him, I'd just go the right route. I'd take, I'd take the uh, the European route and then let that look after itself, get that that belt and get that behind you and then move on from there. That's that's the way I'd go. I wouldn't go jumping the gun now and jumping in with somebody too early because that could be the wrong road to take. Now, a lot of people are criticising Joe Joyce because he's very easy to hit. But if he gets through to the second half of a fight, he seems to overwhelm people with his pressure and pace. How many heavyweights out there all that can beat him if it goes past eight rounds or so. Well, the, when we when you talk about world level, you mentioned people there like Josh you were, and guys like that. If you're going to go into the ring with people like that, and you're going to be allowed to let them hit you, then you've got problems because the kind of power that that those guys possess, if they catch you clean, you're going on the floor. There's no doubt about that. So. I think he does need to work on things on his game. You know, boxing is about not being hit, isn't it? Being hit and not being hit. So you can't go in there and be a punch bag and then expect yourself to be able to take that and, and, and then and then launch somebody out of there. So that's all right. The level he's probably fighting at the moment, but once you get in there with uh, with the real big guns, then you have to change your style. I think really, or, or definitely work on it because there's no way you're going to be able to allow somebody at world elite level to absolutely smash you and you just keep walking through the punches because I don't think there's anybody I can't think of anybody who can fight like that I really don't and if he can he, he, he is special so um, so yeah he needs to work on that really you have to work on that because I don't I can't see him getting in with someone like Joshua or, or Wilder and be able to take those, those sort of flush punches that well Now moving on to that elite level Anthony Joshua Alexander Usyk it's finally being confirmed September 25th at the home of Tottenham Hotspur what a fight, Paul. Yeah, certainly. I mean, we've had these these fight nights before, haven't we, under, uh, under the lights at football stadiums and rugby league stadiums and, and things like that. And they, they've been marvellous. They've been absolutely brilliant. And I think that's another great fight. We had we had Tony Bellew fighting at Everton a few years ago. You remember the Carl Froch fight at Wembley um, with George Grove? These are, these are fantastic fights. And, and at Tottenham's ground there, I mean, I've seen that, that stadium on their telly before. It's, uh, it's quite a quite a stadium so that, that's going to be fantastic that and you're going to hopefully you know government permitting and, and all protocols permitting you're going to get a big crowd in there that's going to be one hell of an atmosphere in there and and two terrific fighters as well it makes for, for a really really good fight and it'll be a great prospect and a great spectacle Now Derek Chisora is hooked back up with Dan 
David Caldwell. Do you think this is the right move for Chisora, especially with you know the Joseph Parker rematch looming? Well, we all know Dave Caldwell's a very, very wily operator, isn't he? Um, every fighter that's ever worked underneath him will, will tell you that he's a real expert of the game, good talker of the sport as well. And he's a guy I've got quite a bit of time for, Dave Caldwell. I think he's been terrific for, for boxing, uh, particularly you know people in, in, in sort of South Yorkshire up there in Sheffield. I'll tell you, he's done a great job with some of the fighters up there, and uh, and yeah, I think that's uh, that could be could be a good move for Derek Chisora as he as he plots his uh, plots the downfall of Joseph Parker. I think that's one to, to look forward to. Most well, certainly, and on the BT Sport broadcast, Sonny Edwards has had his next fight confirmed, taking on Jason Mama, somebody with an undefeated record himself. Do you think Sonny Edwards can move towards becoming a crossover star over here because he's looking sensational in some of his performances? I think he's been terrific up to now. Yeah, terrific entertainment from him. And, you know, it, yeah, this is going to be a big one for him, isn't it? Fighting against an unbeaten fighter who looks pretty decent himself. But, no, he's been very, very entertaining. And I'm sure, you know, as he, as he gets more experience and, and more sort of television fights, the public are going to really, really, uh, really warm to the guy because he's the sort of guy you want to watch. His fights have been all action, as you say. And, and yeah, he's, he's one I'm definitely looking forward to seeing in, in this, this coming year and, and, and years to come, really. Terrific fighter. Absolutely. Terence Crawford has had his next fight ordered. The WBO have sanctioned a matchup between him and Sean Porter. Now, Terence Crawford has been waiting years for a big matchup. Does Sean Porter class at that? Or after a few losses, is he not in that mix anymore? No, I think Porter's still up there. I think definitely you've only got to look at his record, as we've spoke about him a few times on Sports Zone, haven't we? He's uh, one of those elite level guys who, who's been in, in some big, big fights. And. I think I'd still class him as that, to be honest. I think that's that's a, it's a good fight for Crawford. It's a fight I'd expect him to win. Um, you know, he's he's a special fighter, isn't he? But no, I think that's a, that's a good fight for him. And yeah, I think he's one he'll win, though. There's no doubt about that. Most certainly. Now, moving on, we have a fantastic card coming up this weekend. Fight camp officially gets underway. Conor Ben is back on action, taking on Adrian Granados. Granados... One of the toughest people about, he challenges people at world level and gives them all sorts of problems. It's by far the biggest test of the Englander's career. Conor Ben could really, really be put through his paces this weekend. I mean, not many people do well against Adrian Granados. I mean, so many have struggled against him at the higher level. I mean, is Conor Ben at a level where he can put in a better performance against Granados than other people has? Um, yeah, definitely. I mean, we've only got to go back to you know Conor Ben's previous fights. Recently, he's looked absolutely dynamite, hasn't he? You know, he's destroyed people and with his his punching power and <clears throat> not so much his punching power, sort of the amount of punches that he throws. He's absolutely electric, isn't he? At times, and I think it was his last fight against uh, Samuel Vargas, wasn't he? He absolutely pummeled him, uh, and Vargas was is, is a tough operator bit of a journeyman now but you know a guy that's caused people problems in the past and, and he was like men against boys and you know if he can bring that to the table again against Granados I think he'll be in for a tough night but as you said before Granados has got a, a good record he's given people you know tough fights and and taking people into deep waters as well so Conor Ben I think for me the, the only stumbling block for him in this fight is perhaps a bit of um, what's the word I'm looking for a bit of you know, taking it too easy and um, I, can't think, I can't think of the word I'm looking for, but you know what I mean, don't you? Um, taking it for granted a bit. I think uh, he, he needs to just focus on this fight and not take him for granted and really sort of, you know, go for it. And if he does, I think he'll get the same result. But you can't be, 
you can't be going into something thinking you're going to destroy somebody. You've got to focus on that guy and make sure you're fully prepared for him. So, uh, but no, there's no doubt Conor Ben is a very, very special fighter and probably for me, one of the most exciting fighters in the country at the moment. I mean, Adrian Granados is razor tough. He's given a hard night's work to the likes of Danny Garcia, Robert Easter, Sean Porter. I mean, a lot of people thought he even beat Adrian Broner. If Conor Ben can get a victory over him, does he put his name in with the likes of those sort of talent? Yeah, I think he does. Yeah, I think so. Yeah, like he said, we've, we've mentioned you just mentioned some of the fighters there, and it's going to be a tough night for Conor Ben. You know, if Granados brings his A game and you know he fights like he normally does, it's going to be a tough night's work, and you know he'll have his work cut out to win. You know, Conor Ben, as much as he, he's, he's been good and he's had some good results, and like the Vargas fight I just mentioned before, he's starting to step up levels now. And and I think Eddie mentioned that the last time he fought, they, they spoke to him on the interview where, when he was stood next to him, Conor Ben, and Conor was saying, you know, sort me these fights out, get me these people, you know, I want to fight them. And so I like saying that well, you've got to start backing it up now, and, I, and I'm sure he will do. There's no doubt about that. But this is a big test for him, and I think if he can pass this test, then yes, he does start getting himself in in in, in line with world level fighters, definitely. Now, looking at that undercard, it's a great one. I mean, we've got Kanzu defending his WBA regular title against Lee Wood. I mean, on this show, we've been critical of the regular title, not classing it as one of the, you know, the four big world titles. But this is still a big opportunity for Lee Wood to beat somebody who operates at world level in Kanzu. Yeah, definitely. Definitely. And you've got to tell that with all fans, haven't you? It's not every sort of fight you'll get an opportunity like that. Sometimes opportunities come few and far between. And, you know, Lee Woods had a, had a good progression, hasn't he, through the amateur scene. And he, he's, a, he's a good up-and-coming fighter, really. And this is probably the, the biggest fight he's had up to now. So, yeah, he'll be focusing on that this week when fight camp starts and, uh, you know, when they get into the, the bubble and things like that. And he'll be looking forward to, to you know, performing on the big stage at the weekend, definitely. Most certainly. Now moving a little bit further down the card, Jack Cullen, the Bolton man, ever entertaining. He's returning to the ring against Avni Yildirim, somebody we all know from taking on the likes of Chris Eubank Jr. and Canelo Alvarez. A bit of a name on the world scene. I mean, he pushed Anthony Durrell very close. It'd be by far the biggest one of Jack Cullen's career. Has he got it in him to beat Yildirim? I hope so. I hope so. We, we, we've sort of watched the Cullen rise up through through the ranks and you know if you, you want to be someone in boxing these are the, the, the kind of fights you need to win now and, and, and keep progressing and I'm sure his team wanted to keep progressing at the rate of knots he's, he's been going up to now so I think Cullen's a talented fighter and um, you know he's a, he's a strong lad as well and he's got a decent chin so I'm expecting him to, to, to get the result at weekend and hopefully he'll move on to bigger and better things as well because he's a terrific young kid and localish guy as well isn't he so we want him to do well and then lastly, Anthony Fowler is taking on Roberto <clears throat> Garcia. Garcia, very tough. I mean, I think the last time he was on UK shores was a good outing against Martin Murray. It'll be by far the biggest win of Anthony Fowler's career. I mean, obviously he lost to Scott Fitzgerald, but I mean, he's never taken on anybody with somebody with anywhere near the experience of Roberto Garcia. I mean, has he got it in to pull this off or is it going to be a bridge too far? Um, I hope so for him, yeah, definitely, because as you said before, he's had some some good results, hasn't he, throughout his career, but never really, never really fought anybody of, of this this caliber before, and he's not really got any many massive names on his on his um, on his record. But no, that loss to Scott Fitzgerald, I thought, set him back a, a couple of years ago. But since then, he's he's had some good results, hasn't he? The, the Brian Rose fight was a decent win for him, and. 
and Adam Harper, I think he beat him, you know, recently as well. And, and we've said about Fitzgerald before, he's another guy that's that's come through and had a, had a terrific amateur pedigree, hasn't he? But he's another guy that I think he's around 30, 31 now, and he's not he's not been as active as I would have liked to have to been over the last few years. And this is by far the biggest name on his record, but he's got the talent. He's another one with a terrific engine. He fights at a terrific pace, does does Fowler and entertaining boxer as well. And he's a very confident man. Very, very confident man, and he'll be um, the machine. I think they call him, don't they? He'll be, he'll be up for this this weekend. And uh, no, I'm looking forward to it. It's an intriguing encounter because such a big name in Garcia. So yeah, I, I fancy to Fowler to, to to pull this one off. Yeah. And the last question of the day for you, Paul. Oscar De La Hoya has had his comeback confirmed for September 11th, and he's taking on former UFC champion Vitor Belfort. And of course, in these crossover matches. We always fancy the boxer, don't we? But Vitor Belfort spent the bulk of his career at either £185, even at a world championship reign at £205, whereas Oscar De La Hoya spent his time in the boxing world around £145. I mean, could the massive size disadvantage be the undoing of Oscar De La Hoya? Here? It could be. It could be. And then again, it could be... Um... Could be the making of him. He might just be a bit lighter on his feet and, and a bit quicker, mind you. Having said that, he's, he's knocking on a bit now, isn't he? But I'm pretty sure Oscar De La Hoya's kept himself, uh, kept himself fit and, and kept himself in shape. So, um, so yeah, it, it is an intriguing matchup. But the, the weight difference, yeah, it could could come into it. But it's going to be a fascinating watch to see, definitely. Most certainly. Now that's all we've got time for in the boxing, and we're going to move swiftly on to the Olympics in Tokyo. And we're all excited for this, aren't we, Rob? Can you sum it up how you're feeling right now at this great time? Yeah, Olympics in, in Tokyo, the pinnacle of any kind of sports uh, person's career. You know, they take on the world, everything, the training, the diet, everything comes down to this one moment, James. And, you know, athletes dream about gold medal success. Uh, but really, it's about the competition as well. Everyone from all over the world get together uh, and, and compete. Unfortunately, there won't be fans in the stadiums because of the COVID crisis in Tokyo. Uh, so we'll all be probably watching it at home, which probably puts a, puts a bit of a, a dampener on it. But looking at it, really, James, there's also positives coming out of it. There's new sports involved as well, with like baseball and karate and uh, skateboarding. Uh, sports climbing and surfing, so there's lots of sports to look forward to, uh, as well as the athletics and the swimming and, and all the different things that make the Olympics so great. Most certainly. Now, Rob, can you talk us through how well GB have done so far? Yeah, we've, we've so far, James, uh, we've got one silver, which was Brandley Sindon in the taekwondo, uh, and one bronze, uh, Chelsea Giles in the judo. Early doors in, in the Olympics. We're not going to panic just yet. Uh, the last Olympics Games, we had 27 golds, uh, 23 silvers and 17 bronze in Brazil. So there's plenty of time to pick up the, the, the medals, James. Uh, on, the, on the negative side so far, GB women in the, in the hockey lost 2-1 to Germany and Andy Murray had to withdraw from the singles I think because he had a, a bad a, 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 a niggle I think on his ankle or his knee or something like that so unfortunately he won't be winning singles is it still in the doubles I think uh, so that's a possibility uh, for a medal uh, going forward And what have we got to look forward to over the next few days Rob? Yeah there's lots and lots to look forward to James potential gold winning uh, athletics and, and sport Adam Peaty in the swimming 100 metre best stroke he's, a, he's one to look forward to he's in prime condition uh, to bring uh, GB's goal home uh, Tom Daly in the diving always a 
there and thereabouts in that competition. Uh, on Wednesday, you've got the Coxless Four in the, in the rowing, uh, the Rugby Sevens start and the road cycling opportunity for, for Britain there. On Thursday, Helen Glover, Helen Glover in the rowing, uh, she's a third-time uh, Olympian, uh, hoping to get to get uh, a, a medal uh, in this one as well, because she's been very successful in the previous Olympics, and she had a break uh, because of obviously that family uh, bringing up a family. So she's come back in now, hopefully to to win a, win another medal. And on Friday, uh, the athletics start, which is always fantastic with the the running and and the javelin and and all the different sports, which what the Olympics is is famous for. We're all going to be tuning in, uh, James, and and that's what it is. You know, we all get behind it every four years, and we bring memories back, uh, like like the London. Uh, 2012 Olympic Super Saturday uh, with Mo Farah uh, and Cole bringing on the medals. It was a fantastic moment. I'm sure uh, the boys and girls out there in talk, Tokyo uh, will be doing uh, the best to bring the gold back to Britain. I mean, you said there, Rob, I think we got 27 gold medals in yep. Rio. I mean, as a prediction, how many do you think Team GB will get this time? Well, don't forget, it's all about how well uh, it's supported. And I'm, I'm sure after the success of last time, uh, the, the sponsorships will have gone up and the, the athletes will have been able to train uh, at a better standard. So I'm thinking they're going to be looking at that medals table and thinking we can get to 30. 30 golds would be good. Uh, I'm sure there, you know there's other medals they'll be looking out for. Um, but... We'll have to wait and see, James. I think we'll have more of an more of an idea uh, when when we're going into week two because we always we all we are quite strong in the in the track and field events. Uh, so you're hoping that we'll pick uh, up more medals there. Most certainly. And let's move on to the football, Rob. And it's the biggest sporting story of the week. Jaden Sancho has finally signed for Manchester United. Seventy three million pounds. The twenty one year old has moved over to the Old Trafford for. I mean. He's an absolutely fantastic player, isn't he? I mean, Jaden Sancho, he absolutely bamboozles defenders. He's incredible on the ball. At just 21 years of age, he's got so much in his future. I mean, in 104 appearances at Borussia Dortmund, 38 goals, 51 assists. He's one of the best young players on the planet, Rob. How big an impact is he going to make at the Future of Dreams next year? It's a, it's a big it's a big moment really for Manchester United and Ole Gunnar Solskjaer because he is proving class. Uh, we have got fantastic talent up that end of the field and how he fits in uh, with the likes of, of, of Ratchford and Greenwood all vying for them uh, places Bruno Fernandes he's going to add that bit of extra that bit of extra class which, which is which has missed which we have missed over the last uh, sort of few sort of months and years James you're hoping he's an England national as well which is important obviously he missed his penalty in the in the Euros but we're not going to hold that against him you know we, we, what happens in a red shirt is that matters the most most certainly, Rob. I mean, Jaden Sancho is a big sign, and I mean, maybe Varane will follow suit soon. I mean, with the signings we're making, are we going to be a real force next season? I think we will be, James. I think we, we've got opportunity here to to make a massive difference. Um, Ollie, Ollie, fresh from his his new signing of his contract, that's an important thing going forward because we need uh, a top manager in place for a period of time. It's not all about uh, the immediate sort of success it's about building uh you know a, a legacy like Alex Ferguson did like Matt Busby Busby did and if Ollie runs his contract out he'll have been there the third longest at Old Trafford behind Sir Matt and Alex so you're hoping that the board give him opportunity give him money and and then we'll, we'll see where we go now moving on from a massive high to a slightly smaller low Manchester United were beating pre-season QPR 
4-2. I mean, Lingard and Alang are bad goals, but it's still a disappointing performance. It was disappointing. I suppose pre-season is, is a time where you can get players in and, and you can try a few things. Lingard, Jesse Lingard came on, scored a good goal. He showed some good touches in pre-season. So we're looking at, you know, how that fits in all his plans, obviously with Bruno and Bruno Fernandez and, and Jadon Sanchez and Jadon Sancho coming in and how he fits in that in that in that bubble is, is a big question. But we'll have to wait and see there, James. But we'll have to wait and see. We'll have to we're just waiting uh, to see what the spark is, and, that, and that's the important thing. Most certainly, and I mean we previewed this game last week accidentally. I mean I thought it was this Saturday just gone, but it's actually <laughs> next Saturday coming up. Preston North End. Manchester United, a big fixture, a Northwest Derby. I obviously believe as a Prestonian that Preston are going to win four or five nil. How do you see it, Rob? Well, I don't want to break your heart, James, but I'm just got three nil United <laughs> written all over it. Uh, they're getting towards the uh, the you know the business end uh, of the start of the season, so the United players will be need to be focused and ready. And uh, I'm thinking Ollie will have his men sorted. Preston probably will score early, uh, but United will come come back off the ropes uh, and win three one. What about you? I mean, as I said, I expect a big win for Preston North End. I mean, obviously, we're, we're big underdogs in this one. But Preston, they've recently beaten Celtic. Now they're coming up against Manchester City and Manchester United in the same week. Could they defeat three massive, massive European sides back-to-back? I mean, is the momentum with them after the Celtic game? It would be, it would be a good test for for Preston if you can beat all three that's wonderful signs for them um, we'll have to wait and see James I'm sure you'll be you'll be down there in Deepdale uh, jumping up and down if, if, it, if it comes in and, and they start competing in the in the leagues as well as talking about sport on Solve City Radio well most certainly I mean uh, <laughs> it'd be ultimately fantastic if Preston could pick up three wins out of three I mean even though they're only pre-season games I think it'd give us a fantastic heartwarming feel if they can uh, defeat all three of those sides but I mean Manchester City they've got a big game against Preston I mean they're lacking that striker right now obviously with Sergio Aguero leaving they've not filled the void of Harry Kane yet if Harry Kane isn't to sign how do you think Manchester City get on without you know a big name striker next season well, they did the double last. They did. Uh, they won games, won the league last season, James. So they're not going to be scratching about for talent. Uh, I'm sure Pep Guardiola uh, will, will be will be plotting uh, the the plan either way. Uh, Man City fans have this, uh, you know, expectancy now because obviously the winning the winning trophies and the winning league, so they expect to compete in week out. So it's going to be interesting to see what happens with Pep. But let, let's talk about our other club, Salford uh, City FC. They they're in pre-season training. Um, Pre-season trade. Then pre-season so far, they beat Derby County two-one um, down at uh, Salford. Good result for them, James. Uh, I did watch the highlights. They were very impressive. Uh, nicked two goals and, and played well against a, a top side. Well, certainly. I mean, beating Derby County is no easy feat, is it? And I think we both predicted last week that Salford could get something out of this game, didn't we? And they did. And they're proven that they can compete with the, the likes of Derby and think they can go further and further up the football pyramid because they're good enough. They are good enough, James. I think it's it's one of them where they're building a successful uh, club, and you're kind of hoping that they continue that run. We, you know, we, we've seen them go through the leagues, haven't we? Haven't we, James? And you know, they they are building a better team and a better squad because I think it's important when you when you look at it that they have a strong squad going into these next few uh, sort of months and years because 
if you've got a strong squad, it, it, you can compete on all levels. And that's the important thing going forward. It's about competing every week. Yeah, most certainly, Rob. I mean, a side like Salford, who's so new, as long as they can build up confidence in the team, they can. I mean, there's who's telling what they can achieve? I mean, I think we're all expecting Salford to go on and on and on and do more and more things. I mean, it's going to be a very interesting ride for the supporters, isn't it? It's indeed, uh, James. Uh, I spoke to Gary, but well, Gary Bowyer spoke out on the Salford City FC Twitter page about the victory against Derby, and this is what he had to say. After for the first time in just over 500 days, we've had fans back here. And obviously, it's your first time meeting the fans. I, I want to start there. How was that for you? Fantastic. Really good. Um, really pleased that, you know, so many of them came in. Um, beautiful day and the fact that, um, you know, uh, they watched a real good game of football as well. And obviously, from our point of view, to to manage to, to nick two goals and, and send them away happy with a win is... Uh, you know, a, a brilliant way for us to round off the day. But, you know, long may that continue. So let's try and keep them in, you know. You can't, you say there we managed to pinch two goals. You can't come over it. It's still a good result. I know it's pre-season, but, it, you know, how encouraged were you by the performance? Oh, I, you know, we knew it, it was going to be a very difficult game. You know, they're uh, a very well-organised team, um, Derby. And you look at the way that they play, you can tell. There's a lot of work gone in and they've got a real identity this season. So, and that's a credit to them. And we knew uh, we would have to be really organised. And um, I felt that, you know, we, we were in that sense. So it was a great test for us to work on things that we've tried in training. As a front four playing uh, Hendo top alongside Tom and then having Connor on one side, Josh on the other, two of them getting on the score sheet. It's looking very threatening. Well, we identified in the summer we needed to bring in goals and Conor McElhaney and Josh Morris certainly do that for us and they've started pre-season ever so well. Uh, Josh Morris already with assists and now obviously got his goal as well so you know, really delighted with that. Um, but um, there's more to come from them, that's for sure. And just on Tom, you know, he, in a year and a half here he, he's had quite a difficult time with injuries and stuff so for him to start today to score... Are you looking forward to using him? Yeah, no, it's been uh, it's been a well managed uh, process pre-season. He's done every session, uh, and we've looked after him at the right times as well in terms of his volume. But um, you know, we're, we're we're delighted with his contribution today. And again, there's loads more to come from him because, like you say, he's, he's missed such a lot of football. So that was uh, Gary Bowyer giving us his views about the victory against Derby County. Uh, James and he did say that he, he was happy with the way the football was played and it was a difficult game but they took lots out of it scored some good goals and, and they're in a good place moving forward uh, to the start of the season Most certainly I mean I think the coach and everybody around the club's got a real feeling of promise haven't they going into next season and I'm expecting big things as I assume you are too Rob Oh, I think it's going to be fantastic. They're looking at the squad they've, they've put together there. Um, Tom Elliott, he, he returned to the side after injury uh, last season and scored a good goal as well. And it's all, like I said before, James, it's about having strength and depth and, and likes of Ian Henderson there scoring goals as well. And we, we look at this team and we think to ourselves that there's, there's, there's good players in this side that's going to make a big difference. And looking, looking forward... As long as we compete in week in, week out, the quality of player in that squad will make a big difference and that will push us into playoffs and into promotion fights because that's that's what it's all about. It's about in keeping the momentum and, and that's the important thing going forward for Salford. Absolutely, Rob. I mean, 
as we say, we're expecting big things from Salford next season. And if they can continue to perform as they're doing now, if they can continue to put performances together in pre-season like they have been doing now and can process that and put it into practice in the league, then they've got a very good chance of going up. I mean, they've got a game coming up this weekend. You know, it's Curzon and Ashton. It's a massive game. And are we expecting another win? Yeah, it's going to be another test. Obviously, Curzon and Ashton are a good side. Solvers in pre-season. Uh, Gary Ball, you'll probably mix that team up because obviously he wants to see what his squad can do and, and it will be interesting to see what happens then. And then they've got Lincoln City at home uh, on the, the following Saturday. Um, home games are important. They were very, very good at home last season. I think they only lost one at home, I think, all, all season. They were they were tremendous at home. And I think if you want to build a team that's going to go all the way, uh, James, through the leagues and, and get promoted and win things, your home form is important. Most certainly. I mean, home form is absolutely vital, isn't it? As, as well as away from. I mean, you've got to perform in front of the home fans as well as putting performances again on the road. I mean, it's all well and good winning your away matches, but I suppose in a way they're more few and far between. If you can put together a good home run and if you can make your stadium a fortress and intimidate other teams, it's massive. I mean, look at the likes of Liverpool making Anfield such a fortress. I mean, Newcastle do it, Leeds do it. There's so many good teams that make their stadiums a fortress and it's so intimidating for teams to come to play them. Yeah, 40 seconds to go, James. Uh, obviously looking forward to, to the season. Who, who, who are you looking forward to the most uh, seeing uh, United and uh, Salford? Player-wise, I mean, yeah. I think we're excited to see Jaden Sancho, aren't we? Yeah. I mean, a new signing. We're looking forward to Varane as well. I mean, I think both of them are going to make huge impacts in the club. And Rob, who do you think is going to be the major impact for Salford next season? I think next season we're looking at Ian Henderson again. Fantastic goal scorer for Salford and he's going to be the, the spearhead in, in, in that side. Uh, Tommy Elliott coming back as well. He's going to be a, an influence on that side. And we're just hoping like so Gary Bowyer can mould this team into a team that wins things. And we're looking forward to talking all about it on the Sports Zone on Salford City Radio. Big thanks for tuning in and we'll see you next week for more Salford Sporting Chat. <laughs>